welcome once again to the Party of One podcast, the actual play RPG podcast where the gaming table is always set for two. I'm your host as always, Jeff Stormer. This week on the show, I'm joined by Daniel Anderlich for a game of Heart, the City Beneath. Daniel is the producer and game master for Explorers Wanted, a Numenera actual play podcast focused on exploration, intrigue, and friendship. You should absolutely check out Explorers Wanted. You can find more information about the show at explorerswanted.fm or check the show notes for more information. Heart, The City Beneath is a role-playing game about delving into a nightmarish undercity that gives you everything you've ever dreamed of or kills you in the process. It is funny, it is horrifying, it is exquisitely well done. You can find more information about Heart, The City Beneath at rowanrookanddecard.com or you can check the show notes for more information. Now, one important housekeeping update before we dive in, and that is... We're done for the year, everybody. Uh, with this episode, we are taking a couple weeks off. We are ending the 2022 season. We'll see you at Christmas for the Christmas special, but otherwise, we'll see you in 2023. If you're looking for more Party of One in the meantime, you can use this time to check out the backlog or head to patreon.com slash jeffstormer and check out Party of None, which is an actual-ish play podcast focused on single-player role-playing games. Otherwise, we'll see you next year. And with all that said, let's go ahead and throw it over to me in the past so that he can get started with the show. Take it past me. Thanks, future me. I am so, so excited to be sitting now with Daniel Anderlich. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on Party of One. Thank you so much for having me. I am very, very excited. I am excited to be playing this game today. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I've got a character today that I'm very, very excited to play. But uh, before we dive into that, why don't you take a moment to let our lovely listeners at home know about anything you've got going on that you might want them to know about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I am the producer and Game Master for Explorers Wanted. It's a Numenera actual play podcast. Um, we've been going for, I think, two and a half years at this point, um, releasing weekly, and uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a uh, game about exploration, intrigue, and friendship, and uh, all the horror you find in between. Love it. Uh, great pitch. I feel like I, 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 I've I come to appreciate a good pitch, especially sitting on this side of the microphone for as long as I have. And I always have to shout it out when I hear it. Um, I am really excited. This week we are playing Heart the City Beneath. Um, I It's a game that I've wanted to play on the show for a very, very long time. Uh, it is a game that is extremely cool and flavorful and weird and horrific in all the ways that uh, I love. And so I am profoundly excited to go underneath a weird elven city and find some horrific things. <laughs> well, I've got plenty of that in store for you, for sure. All right. Well, we should let's talk a little bit about the setting at a high level, and then I'll introduce my character and we'll we'll kick off the story. Sure. So give us so so give us the the 10,000 foot pitch of heart in a nutshell. Yeah, so underneath the spire, which is the most massive monolith of ancient knowledge known to this in this fantasy world we're playing in. Um, but beneath it is the heart, the city beneath. Um, it's believed that the heart is the source of all these strangeness um, throughout the spire above um, the heart. There's different theories about what it could be. Maybe it's a sleeping God. Maybe it's something else. But the important thing to know is that the heart can be almost anything for anyone. Um, it desperately wants to give you whatever your character wants, even if it kills you. Um, it's a red, wet heaven, um, deep beneath the earth where you might even encounter alien skies and who knows what, as the heart desperately, twistedly tries to give you what you want. <laughs> 
that's like I said, that's a great, a good, a good ass pitch is frankly how I will describe it. Um, <laughs> I am excited. I, I have made a character. Um, we have talked a little bit about the scenario that we're going to be playing through, but, um, I will, uh, introduce my character. Uh, with that in mind, I have been on an expedition. Uh, today I am playing, uh, I am playing a high elf, uh, curator. Uh, by the name of Pale Green Things Peeking Through the Grass, or Pale Green for short. Uh, he, his pronouns. Uh, Pale Green is a high elf. They are the denizens of the, of the spire above. They are the, they are the, the rich aristocracy. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, in his, in his old life, in his old life above, uh, he and his family, Pale Green and his family, were the upper crust of the upper crust. They were, uh, they were, to put it bluntly, the worst of the worst. Um, and I think as, uh, uh, my background being, or my ancestry being, uh, being a high elf, I have a few questions that I will, I will kind of walk through. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still wear a mask. I have a, I have an ancestral mask and, Given my character's very particular obsession, my mask is sort of picture like a World War One gas mask where it's just big and bulky Ooh. and it's got the ventilator hanging down. And the I thing that. that differentiates it is um, it's got a bunch of like studs and gears and latches and sort of slots that slot into very specifically like the eye holes. For the, mm-hmm. for the so that you can plug in different lenses and magnifying lenses and, and eye pieces and eye glasses. Uh, it is this one decorative area in this very uh, like mechanical looking gas mask, which I wear because, you know, breath ruins the books. My right, character has exactly. a particular book obsession. <laughs> OK, cool. Did you bring any books with you then? Into the I, I did. I am. I am wearing a great deal of books on my person. Uh, one of my. I. I. One of my abilities that I'll took, which I will. I will. I will go over in a moment. Was a uh, walking reliquary, where I am. <laughs> I am adorned with a with an enormous amount of like trinkets and bobs, and I picture all of them as various books and pamphlets and manifestos and. Tiny little like pocket Bibles and larger books that are like <laughs> hanging on leather straps. And I am like mm-hmm. festooned with books like a walking library. <laughs> like those Christmas ornaments that ha- that are like little miniature books. Yeah, I've got I've got the I've got all shapes and sizes. Some of them are like three are like three card pamphlets. Some of them are little Christmas ornament books. Some of them are full size like Lord of the Rings size tomes. It's uh, very cumbersome, and I kind of uh, I I don't jingle when I walk, but I do like mm-hmm. markedly. I have the sound when I walk of like uh, if you've ever heard just like a mob of. I sound like fourteen people walking on a hardwood floor. It's just a <laughs> okay. mountain of thumps of thumps and bumps as I walk around. Okay, perfect. I love that. Uh, uh, my family name was ruined due to a cataclysmic social faux pas. Um, books are my family legacy. This is sort of where my obsession comes from. And uh, the faux pas that ruined my family's name was one very particular uh, ruinous book club. 
They recommended an unpopular text for their book club that sparked a disastrous dinner party for which there were uh, multiple fatalities. Wow. And thus, they are no longer welcome in the city above. Yeah. Very and cool. I, I have been kind of obsessed with restoring the, the glory, finding that one truly ancient like text that is going to like, I say restore the, the, the beauty of my family name, but I, even I at this point know better and think that it's really just that I want to shove it in the faces of the people that have, that have pissed me off. Mm. Okay. Okay. And uh, obviously, like I, uh, uh, I've alluded to it, but the, the, the one luxury that I cling to that keeps me centered is my books. These are these are old. All of them uh, are are old and ornamental, and they are they are very obviously like the books of of various wealthy people that I have like uh, absorbed into a collection. Hmm. Absorbed with quotes around it. Yes, of course. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so my calling is enlightenment. Um, I am the impossible thing I am attempting to achieve in the city beneath is uh, enlightenment being that like I, I have to prove something impossible. I am looking for secrets within the earth. I know the heart holds the answers to my questions and no matter what it takes, I will get them. And like I said, I am mm. looking for uh, a book, something old, ancient, powerful. Um I even I even I don't know the specifics of it. I just know that there is that there is like uh, there are texts buried in the heart by people that venture down there, wrote down their wrote down their findings and then never came back. And I'm hoping mm. to find like a text that is so old, so ancient that provides some kind of answer that I can use to really shove it in their goddamn faces. <laughs> okay. Uh, the first step on my journey, and this is this this bleeds nicely into uh, this bleeds nicely into my uh, into my class, which I'll talk about next. Is uh, I organized? I I commissioned is really the best way to describe it. I commissioned a an expedition into the heart. I hired a bunch of hunters. I brought together the best of the best, and we embarked on a journey into the heart. And Daniel, can you tell me briefly what happened uh, to that expedition? Oh man! So you're turning this around me because I actually had some questions for you. Please, about okay, that. okay. Well, then hit. Okay, me. <laughs> okay. Um, so I have a question. Um, so you came down here, and I'm going to say you came down with three people. Three people. Got um, him. Um, the first one was um, uh, thrushes in the meadow, and that also a high elf. Um, and he had one habit that you found incredibly annoying. Like, what was the thing that drove you crazy about this individual while you were on the delve? Uh, a loud chewer. Ooh. Just, okay, cool. like, just ate loud and, like, ate big and, like, ate, you know, uh, uh, flecks of, of crumb and food scattered about. And it was just, uh, it, it just, it. It was the kind of tiny little detail that specifically drives pale green up a wall. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, and so um, as thrushes in the meadow, uh, sorry, turn the page there. Um, thrushes in the meadow, as you were coming through um, a network of tunnels, and the tunnels became almost like flesh walls. And as he leaned against the wall, 
he began sinking into it like mm. it was absorbing him and consuming him. And you and your companions tried to cut him free, but that only seemed to speed his descent until finally he was just gone. Love it. Kala was your second companion. Um, and she had a particular trait. It wasn't necessarily annoying, but it was something that she, that for whatever reason you like, you will always associate her in your mind with this behavior. What was it? Uh, Kala loved knife games. Like Mm. if we were, if we were sitting, I think we had a, we had a cart that we had to abandon. And if we were sitting on the cart, she'd put her hand on the wall and do the kind of knifey stabby game. And, or if we were walking, she would flip knives between her fingers uh, she had a trick where she would throw up a knife and catch it with her, catch it with her teeth perfectly every time. It was frankly baffling. We were all certain that she was going to slash her, slash her cheek open at some point, And every single time it was flawless, which how do you even teach that as a skill? How is that? A, how do you, how do you, how did she not have scars on her face? But like perfect without, without ever missing a beat was able to just like catch it and really was extremely proud of that specific trick. Yeah. Yeah, that that's beautiful. Makes perfect sense for her, um, which is what made her departure even more strange because that one you didn't see. You guys woke up one night about midway before now, and she wasn't on her bedroll. And you found tracks that led to this underground lake of ochre-colored water, but no sign of her. Hmm. And who is and- our third? Who is our third crew member? And Martin, Martin, tell me, how did Martin come to his end? Martin, I think this was about when we abandoned the cart. I think it was a little bre- a little ways after this, the cart kind of got stuck. We kind of had to leave, mm-hmm. had to leave the cart and go by foot. Uh, and it was really just Martin and I. And what happened was uh, we came, we came to a fork and... Martin was Martin was our was our our navigator and mm-hmm. with absolute certainty you know with absolute certainty pointed us in what we thought was the the, the correct direction pointed us down this down this left more uh, most passage and I let him take the lead and he got maybe three steps before uh sort of uh before like fleshy tendrils just vivisected him and it was just it was Mm. so unlike the others where it was either like largely unseen like thrushes in the meadow kind of sunk into a wall and like Mm -hmm. kala was just gone like uh pale green witnessed this very specifically Mm -hmm. and took the right tunnel frankly (laughs) okay sounds good okay so that's your crew um, and I know you're just about to talk about your class. Um, and leading into your class, I want to ask you a question to start with it before we get into the mechanics. Yeah. And that is, uh, you came very close to death. I mean, during this delve, I mean, so I guess the question, and, and you are still followed by an echo of that death that only you see or hear. And I'd like you to tell me, what does your death look like? <sighs> Uh, collapsing in exhaustion in an endless 
Mobius loop of of heart tunnels wandering mm. for like wandering for for weeks in you know circles and backtracks and just an endless cycle uh what feels like there's no turn that you can take that doesn't drop you right back off where you started until finally exhaustion and dehydration just gets to you and just mm. collapsing and that's part of it. That's part of what it looks like. And that's part of what I think like this echo looks like, but it's not all of it. And I think that the part that the echo that like truly like lingers and kind of follows pale green as much as the physical death is, it is a thousand faces of a thousand aristocratic high elves shrugging and moving on with their day in an instant it it is it is dinner party laughter and a slight gasp and then a change in topic oh wow oh god i love that that's awesome i i thought of that and it really stuck with me and i was like we're going we're going for it especially for this yeah. particular character yeah that sounds great well so tell us a little bit about the the classic character so people understand what this yeah beautiful little fiction that we've created around it means yes so i am playing a dead walker i uh i died i died out here i died out here in the heart and but somehow through willpower luck or trickery i stayed alive i am back my tattered soul has given me a near unique ability to step between the lands of the living and dead with relative ease and my constant companion a spectral manifestation of the death that didn't take guards me jealously and whisper secrets from beyond the veil into my ear while I slumber. So I am still on this hunt and there is something about this hunt for this object that like I am still obsessed with and not even death could keep me away from wandering these tunnels and eventually I don't know how long it's been but eventually I just woke up and suddenly looked just to my left and saw a tunnel that I hadn't seen before that led me out of this sort of hellish Mobius loop. Mm. Okay. Very cool. And with that, that is that is my character. So I believe that is where we pick up with the story. Uh, yes. So I will I will hand this over to you and say uh, take the wheel and then as uh, when it comes time to start rolling dice we'll talk through the mechanics but I think that is where we pick up is uh, pale green wandering these tunnels alone his crew that he paid very good money for for the record it was not cheap uh, mm. have uh, lost to the winds and and trapped in this sort of desperate mission that he is on the hunt for yeah. Um, so you are, are been wandering through these tunnels. Um, thankfully you've gotten away from what looked like the flesh wall tunnels, um, mm -hmm. or even the, the Mobius tunnels that you were in. Um, these are looking a little bit more natural, um, you know, in terms of being more like, uh, you know, dark rock, things like that. There are crystalline structures sticking out from the ceiling. Um, the odd thing about them though, is that there's this sort of viscous dripping fluid from them um, doesn't smell very good it smells actually like a little bit like pus mm. um like almost like somehow like these were infected wounds even though it's clearly stone the thing um, that i like here is or the de the thing i like about that detail it tells me 
that my gas mask like doesn't block smells and that mm-hmm. like that makes it not a very really effective gas mask and i think that is perfect because it is this like it's really just i think to redirect my breathing away from a book that i'm reading so like all of the smells and muck and disease is still like seeping in and i'm just like it's just this this terrible little ceremonial like breath tunnel yeah it's it's really sort of like a very elaborate mask for what something that's really sort of like a step below an n95 mask Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) okay cool um so the book that you have like that brought you on this delve like you're actually following a lead um you're Mm -hmm. very very lost right now but you're following a lead there is a book that has been discussed as supposedly being held somewhere down in this direction. You got some intelligence from um, a blood witch, which you're not used to trusting, but you're in the heart and sometimes you just have to make do. But the book you're looking for, you know, is titled Carnival's End. Carnival's End. Mm -hmm. And it's significant because there are rumors. um, You've heard stories of people essentially ensnared by carnival dancing the people that like they this group goes through and people become helpless except to dance for the rest of their life with this group regardless of what it does to their body oh that 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 feels like the worst possible thing for the for for (laughs) pale green to be hunting for because there's like I, i i think that i don't even think i think at this point especially I think Pale Green has, like, abandoned the illusion that, that – I think maybe he departed on this to be like, I'm going to find this object and, you know, uh, le- you know, uh, bring to light, like, its secrets and its magic. And now, like, the spitefulness and the bitterness is seeping in and it's full-on, like, I yeah. – like, people have wronged me and I am not about to tolerate it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, but hopefully – Hopefully, maybe it's the kind of thing that it could be a discovery to kind of help you try to get back. But like you said before, you don't know if that's just you lying to yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've been going through these tunnels now. It's been days. Um, you haven't seen another living thing in far too long, um, which is, of course, a concern because you guys had been on Adele for a long time anyway. And rations are starting to get harder and harder. Mm -hmm. Like you're having to really ration them out. Um, And you reach a point in the tunnels where there is this um, strange like opening. Um, It's almost like a, like the ceiling suddenly juts up. So like you're inside of a more massive cavern inside of the tunnels, but it sort of dead ends around Um, the walls are, you know, they they seem to be studded with tiny stones, um, you know, all along them, and in the center of this circle, which is probably about like a like a fifteen foot diameter, is just this one little like not little wrong word, but like this waist high spike, hmm. and then these walls leading up. I think I I, I want to like walk kind of around this circle and as i do that like jab at the stones that are making the circle and like see if there are markings on on the stones and see if there's anything that i can 
pull from that to understand like a what's going to happen if i try to walk into this circle and b what this what this spike is intended for and if i could mm-hmm. if i could if i could use it if it's useful to me okay cool um so as you're kind of walking around the circle um you know i mentioned all these like pebbles that were on the walls that were jutting out things like that mm-hmm. as you're walking along the wall and looking a little closer you see that those pebbles are actually like broken teeth mm. um, of various sizes, probably from multiple different types of animals. Um, and they, they all seem to be kind of like they're part of the structure of this exterior wall. Um, the spike itself seems perfectly smooth, um, although you get the sense of there's almost like a waviness to the air above it. Now, I have a resource that's going to drive what might be a very unwise action, but it's the right action for this character, especially with the weird justification that I have given pale green for having this item. Mm -hmm. I have a bag of scavenged teeth. (laughs) And I, I think in particular, especially since, um, uh, since since Pale Green is not like a long time dead walker and like hasn't been like walking among the dead for very long, I I like the idea that this bag of teeth is just tying into like Pale Green's latest uh latest literary obsession, which is like weird medical books, mm-hmm. and has just and like started collecting collecting weird teeth. So mm-hmm. what I want to ask you. Could I attempt to pluck uh, one or a few of these teeth off of the wall and stash them in this bag uh, to add to my collection? Ooh. Yes. But I want to make you roll for it because I, okay. I have some fun ideas for consequences if it All goes right. wrong. <laughs> I, 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 I very much want to roll for it. I think that I think this will be very, very fun. Okay, cool. Okay, so um, – I am going to say this is going to be um, a so basically the way it works in heart is you're going to build a dice pool um, and your dice pools are based off of D10s. Um, so you'll have one D10 to start um, this situation, this part of the heart that you're in, I would classify as sort of um, you could argue cursed or warrens. Um so if you have one of those domains, you'll get a, a another D10. If you have a skill that you want to propose that you think would help, um, that would give you another D10. This is a standard action, so it's not going to inf- – so whatever you've got will determine your dice pool. Got it. Okay. Um, I'm trying to decide – I don't think any of my skills I, – I have Delve and Discern, and I don't think necessarily either of those is going to pull into this moment in terms of, mm-hmm. like, skills. I also don't have Warren or Wild. Uh, and let me look at my abilities. Um, My abilities also not terribly helpful here. Uh, you know what? Actually, uh, I, there is an ability that I want to use here okay. um, just to just – to, to use it and be no, I'm actually I'm I I was tempted to to use my unorthodox methods and just claim a six, but I think I'm more interested in the potential for failure than I am taking that six, and I want to maybe save that save that result for later. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna roll this one d10 and see what happens. Okay. That is a five. I should have taken that six. 
Okay. Yeah. So you are working um, against this tooth, trying to pull it out and your tool slips and you realize that the edges of this teeth are almost razor sharp. Mm. So you cut your hand against it as your hand slips. So could you roll me 1d4? Yes, indeed. That is a one. Okay. So that is one stress to blood. Okay. Um, so you two have different resistances and you might have certain protections or things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but So that's one. Uh, yeah, I do have two protections to supplies because of all of my books, but I'm going to take one stress to blood. Mm-hmm. And since it's only, um, oh, so it's one stress, we still need to roll for fallout. So anytime that you take stress in this game, um, the less stress you have built up, the better. <laughs> because every time you take stress, I'll roll a d12. If I roll your stress total or lower, you'll receive fallout, which will get rid of the stress, but will have some other consequence, which may or may not be good. Okay. So and that's, for, that's total... To- is that total stress? Is that total stress by the resistance? So is that just for blood, or is that all added together? So it's very ambiguously worded in the book. I always base it off of the resistance track. Got it. Okay. For that cool. type. Okay. I rolled an eight, so no, so no fallout. Um, but you do take so you do cut yourself pretty badly against this. Mm-hmm. It's a nasty cut. And I I think I I think I am immediately. I am not. I I am not uh, inclined to to be okay if taking this cut. I think I immediately uh, get antsy. Is how I would describe it. I think I I get antsy and impatient and frustrated the second that the cut happens, and I react to it in a way that is like more more angry and more upset than it should be for the even for like the nasty cut that it is like i am flailing a little bit and cursing and shouting until i finally mm-hmm. like till i finally like snap back into like it's fine whatever it is what it is okay okay cool well now what do you do i think i'm going to go i think I'm going to go invest. I'm going to go poke around at this spike and see what I can find. If I, uh, unless, uh, no, I think, I think that pale green being pale green would, would go and like investigate the spike. I think as a, as a curator and scholar, I think that it is my obligation to understand this. This could be, even before I find Carnival's End, my true calling, this could be. This could be another great discovery to add to my manuscript when all is said and done. Okay, cool. So you approach this thing, the air above it, like as you get closer, you can see that sort of waviness um, in the air above it. Just, it's very strong. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. looking across, um, it's like looking across sand dunes on yeah. like over a hundred degrees. And is there is there a gap at the top of the spike, or is the heat just emanating off of the spike itself? Um, I think looking closely, it appears that it's emanating off the top of the spike itself. But oddly, you don't see any like you don't see any sign of like warping or score marks or anything mm. like that. Like the the tip does not. It's not like the tip appears hot. It's almost like. The air, like for everywhere it touches the tip and up, is hot, but 
there's nothing about the structure itself that seems warm or even particularly designed to be warm. Could I make a roll to see if I understand if there's any significance about this? If there's anything, if there's anything in my, in my old, in my old notes about what this could look like Mm -hmm. and start to, and start to more aggressively, uh, I guess as we establish stakes, which is step one, I guess like, uh, putting out my action as well as the potential stakes that follow from it, like start to mess with this thing to, or, or start to kind of like fall back on my, on my, my training and my knowledge and my, my, my readings to see if I can, I can spot what exactly like what the significance of a spike like this is and how one would interact with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This definitely feels like a, like an occult domain mm-hmm. topic. Um, and uh, there are a couple different skills that you could argue for it. Um, like if you had like delve or discern, or if you had other ideas too, I'm open to that too. Those are the two skills that I have, so those are going to be the two that I was going to argue for. So that feels perfect. So I think uh, with those, the, so I'm going to roll three d six here or three d ten and take the high mm-hmm. result. Yep, it is a five, an eight, and a five. So the high result is an eight. Okay, excellent. Um, so with an eight, you succeed. You don't take any stress. Everything goes just the way you hoped it would. Um, this is definitely connected to the rest of this structure. Um, the heat here seems to be like, you're not sure exactly how this heat is coming up. It is definitely either occult or like far advanced technology. One of the two mm. um, may not be a distinction with a difference to you, um, but it is definitely tied. Like something about this room is dictated by that warmth and you start thinking that actually what's supposed like that heat is there not just to emit but it's almost like you get the feeling of like an incinerator mm-hmm. but if there's an incinerator mm-hmm. that means that if this is here to be an incinerator that means that there must be things to incinerate and or it means that the, the, the correct way to go is away from it. Is there, are there any slots or like entry points for things to go into the incinerator? Um, you don't see any slots per se. Um, there are definitely like seams, but no receptacles. Hmm. Um, you got the impression that basically like if somebody was going to like put something in this, they would be putting it directly into the heat. Almost like it burns whatever it needs for fuel. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I think that the next thing that I am looking for is uh, scanning the floors and uh, uh, any paths around these these stones to see if there are because obviously if this thing exists to burn things then someone would have in my in in pale green's estimation somebody would have come here to burn something so i think uh pale green is starting to like scan the floors to see if there are if there are footsteps leading to the incinerator because if there are footsteps leading towards the incinerator then there will be footsteps leading away from it which will lead towards things that need to be incinerated which tend to be i think I think uh, I think Pale Green is monologuing this to himself. 
Uh, if there are footsteps leading towards the incinerator, there will be footsteps leading away, which means that someone will be carrying things that can be incinerated, such oh no, oh, oh and like, <laughs> like falls backwards away from it after realizing that he is covered in extremely flammable paper. <laughs> yeah, awesome, awesome. Um, and I, I think if you look around, um, I mean, they're obviously like, some stray rocks and things on the ground. The thing that I think you find most significant as you fall down, you probably um, possibly like your hand where you hurt yourself accidentally bumps against it. So you're a little extra mm-hmm. sensitive and that's why you notice it um, is a molar just lying mm. free on the ground. Oh, I'm studying the hell out of this molar. Mm-hmm. The molar looks like it probably came from some sort of humanoid. Um, Probably something that's like bulkier than um, an elf or a higher, high elf. Um, you know, could be a null, could be something else, but you don't think it's it's elven, but it is humanoid. I'm going to take this and hold it in my hand and look at this wall. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to flick the molar towards the incinerator. So you flick the molar towards the incinerator. It goes in. The molar is immediately vaporized, but then all around the walls, you see a bunch of these teeth of roughly the same shape and design as the molar. Not not exactly, but almost like they must have come from the same animal. All like suddenly jut out on tiny pillars of stone. And you've suddenly got like almost like a halfway staircase slash like jungle gym bars uh, leading halfway up these walls. Oh, I'm staring at my hand for a very long time before I start to climb this jungle gym because it does not feel great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I'm looking at I I think for the first time in Pale Green's life he is looking at all of these books and lets out like a long sigh <laughs> before that before his uncut hand grabs one grabs one grabs one of these like one of these pillars and he starts to kind of awkwardly the kind of rock climbing that someone who has never rock climbed in his entire life is trying to simultaneously do it while carrying about like 150 pounds worth of tell it worth of novellas mm-hmm. is like is just making his way up this wall as 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 gracefully as he can mm-hmm. okay and these stairways like lead you about halfway up these walls. You can see that halfway up, which was a little harder to see from the angle before, but you can see there is an opening for a tunnel up above. Um, about in the rest, obviously, you still got about halfway to get up these walls somehow. Um, but the but that tunnel is there. That seems to be a way out of this particular area. Then, uh, what I am going to do. Sitting at the top of these stairs. Uh this this has to be on this is this is unorthodox methods, and it feels right to use this ability here as I describe unorthodox methods. Mm-hmm. Unless I do just want to roll for it. You know, I want to roll for it because I have this resource and it would be wrong of me not to use it in this moment as I very literally describe using it. Uh-huh. I am reaching into this this bag of teeth that I have gathered as medical curiosities mm-hmm. and just flicking teeth in the direction of the incinerator and seeing if one of them causes a similar uh, reaction. 
Yeah. And it, it definitely like, like one of them goes in and there's only like a slight movement in the walls, but then the other two go in, um, and there's more of these shook, shook, shook as these teeth come out on these bars. And you now have a path all the way up to the top. It only, you only had to lose three of those teeth. All right. Um, yeah. So I'm going to climb the rest of the way up towards this tunnel. Okay. So you come up to this tunnel and, um, it's a very and wheezing like- <laughs> and just sweaty and gross. Yeah, for sure. And, as you're coming up, I mean, it's it's a rock tunnel, but you feel a breeze and a breeze that you smell. You smell plants. Hmm. You smell grass. Well, that's lovely. I think uh, <sighs> idly. I think that I I I have to use this trinket because I have it, and I have to at least uh, to describe using it uh, before anything else. I take out. I take out my fan. I have a fan and I start fanning myself and I take out a little spritz bottle and mm-hmm. I kind of lower <laughs> my mask and I spritz my face a few times and um, it does not spritz water because obviously you won't want water near the books. It could destroy the paper. That is that is absurd. Right. It is a tiny mist of like almost micros. It is like an almost microscopic mist of like dry ice particles so you just get oh. these little like these little spots of ice sort of like land on my face and kind of like made like they probably probably burn a little bit. Like I probably like you get a like a little bit of the burning and then I kind of like fan and the ice particles just like drift off as they dry up. And then I yeah. readjust my mask and I put everything away and I just completely idly as though everything were fine make my way towards this uh towards this grassy smell okay that's awesome so now you've cursed yourself jeff because you're definitely going to need to find foley of a fan for that Um, great love it (laughs) uh so you are going down this tunnel um and you notice that as you're moving you that smell of grass is getting stronger and you also hear a very faint dripping sound i immediately stiffen up i think pale green uh gets despite everything i think pale green like gets like aggressively defensive the second that he hears dripping because you don't want to get water on the books it would damage the paper that would be absurd and i think like i think starts to like very Cautious, like with with an abundance of caution, more caution than the dripping water probably deserves, continues to make his way his way down the tunnel, kind of hunching his back a little bit as all of his books and his books and pamphlets like dangle down beneath him is like mm-hmm. is is making his way forward, kind of hunched down in a defensive pose. Okay, cool. So as you're approaching, you can see that up ahead these tunnels open up into what appears to be like a like a little glade um in a forest just beyond um which is odd um more odd that the sky itself here seems to be like purple with lines of um lines of like a light like blue running through it kind of like if you're thinking about the reflection of water on the bottom of a pool Mm -hmm. um and there is a figure 
that seems to be lying at the edge of the cave. Um, definitely could be an elf, could be somebody else. It's not 100% sure from this distance. Um, and you, they are just laying there at the opening and they seem to be, um, but there seems to be a bunch of things stuck in them, like almost like 13 knives. Mm. And as you get a little bit closer, you definitely recognize this body as Kala. Aha. How, how recently has she passed? So that's the weird thing. She's staring at the ceiling and occasionally her eyes are flicking around, but otherwise she's not moving. And while there is blood pooled on the ground, um, some of these knives there seem to be like, like she doesn't seem, there's not as much blood as you would expect for this many knives. And so you would say, oh, maybe somebody killed her and moved her, except that her eyes keep flicking around. I'm going to use one of my abilities here. Mm -hmm. um, what, what domain am I in right now? Um, you are in wild. Okay. So then I am, I am using echoes. Um, my, my soul is out of position and, and, uh, it being, I think this ties very nicely into that vision of death, right? Because like I said, mm -hmm. like part of it was seeing the future and seeing the rest of the world and the reaction and the lack of caring. I think it being that sort of jumbled cross time thing. I see echoes like like the 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 vision of the gray, the world beyond between life and death that I see is sort of out of time. Mm -hmm. And so if I focus and concentrate, I can witness ghostly recreations of the past in my current location. Ooh. So I'm gonna so I'm gonna roll discern plus domain. So I'm rolling a uh, discern I have as a skill, so I'm gonna roll two d10 plus my domain, which I don't have. So that'll be 2d10 to see what I can see and if I grew stress in doing so. Okay. That is a six and a five. So I'm going to succeed and take some stress. Okay. Um, roll me a d4. All right. That is again a one. Okay. So you're going to take one to echo. Got it. And um, there's my d12. <laughs> okay, I rolled a one. All right. Um, Let's take some so, fallout. So, fallout. It's echo. Ooh. Oh, that's good. That was major fallout. I didn't want that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I. I am I am glad that that we that we confirmed that before it happened because I imagine that would have been bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You, um, let's see here. I think you suddenly notice, um, so you're used to those visions of the future, like of, of after mm -hmm. your death, things like that. But you notice something on. You can see that imagery of, of the imagined thing, but also you see a strange, more familiar echo in some ways of people at that dinner party, mm. at that faux pas, the reaction to the book that was selected, the moment when your family lost their standing. 
And that seems to keep repeating again and again in your vision. That's really good. I think I, I think what I see, I think the thing that hits that, that, that is, that is hitting for me, Mm -hmm. a thing that is lingering is I'm, I, I see myself laughing and gushing and rambling about this book because I think I was there, right? I think that when I think I think I'm thinking about my family, I think it was it was like myself, my brother, and my mm. father. And I'm yeah. gushing and rambling and I I think I think that like I I I see that like I am making myself the center of attention and like I whether or not that's exaggerated or whether or not it's there like uh I think I think uh Pale Green is seeing very much that like it wasn't necessarily my family that like insisted on this book and gushed about it and like put together this this disastrous. I think that first beat where things first went wrong is qu- yeah. is squarely on Pale Green's shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I love that. Um so that's your fallout. Mhm. There are other echoes that you see of what happened here. And you see um, Kala coming to this edge, just dripping water already with like five knives in her and a bag. And she took out of her bag one at a time, each of these other knives and carefully, like with this distant look in her eye, stabbed herself one at a time until she finished all 13 and then lay down. Hmm. So I, seeing that, I think the thing to do, I think the thing to do is first go up to Kala and confirm that she, whether or not she is alive or recently dead. Mm -hmm. So as you come up, her eyes like flick to look at you directly. Um, There's not really any expression in them. It's just like, they immediately start tracking your movement. And I think you can tell that she is still breathing. In that case, um, I am going to, one by one, painfully, slowly, like carefully, uh, with, a, with a sort of skill that I do not have. I think uh, this feels like the time to use unorthodox methods, especially since I don't have... Uh, I don't have the the skills. I don't have the kinds of skills that would that would come in handy here. Mm-hmm. And I think um, I think what this looks like, the unorthodox method here, is um, what's the best way? Surgery by uh, open book open book surgery is, I guess, the best way to describe it. Okay. I think it is, I think it is, it is, like, I fiddle with my, with everything. I find, like, a book on, I find, like, a book on, like, emergency first aid. <laughs> okay. And I think, like, I am, I, the, the unorthodox method is, like, reading a step, doing a step. But, like, I think what makes it unorthodox is that this is not, like, this is not, I, the, the, the procedure I'm doing is not, like, um... 
it's not applying a suture, right? Like it's not like it's not just like closing or like or like uh like sealing a wound so that it stops the bleeding. I am like teaching myself stitches and like oh, okay. like advanced surgery on the fly. And I think it is and I think that there is um this particular book is interspersed with like essays. And mm-hmm. I am like reading the essays and like walking around reading them in between removing knives to be like, okay, this is a, this is an essay on on the importance of ethics in filing. I really should read this to make sure that if I have to file this later, like mm-hmm. I'm like I'm like like following this book to the letter. But it is a book that is as much tied up in the legalities of of medical care as it is in how to remove thirteen knives from someone. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Um, okay. So the first thing that you'll discover that you are taking a six, but there are some things yeah. that are um, unavoidable. Um, as soon as a knife comes out, she starts bleeding very profusely from that spot. Um, but you're able to, you know, sloppily because you're trying to do it like for the first time reading a book yeah. and you have to do it quickly, um, trying to, to, to stem the flow of blood. Um, and one of the things that you notice is that something like you've gone through like two knives at this point when you notice like every time you pull out a knife, there's almost this sense of anger in your hand, like almost like the knife is angry. Mm. Um, and go ahead and roll me a D4 for All right. stress on this. That's a four. Okay. So you're going to take four to mind. All right. I'm going to roll for fallout. That's a nine, so you're good there. And I, after I am done with this, will try to will try to to mend some of this some of this mind. But well, that's that's a that's a role for later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And well, and the hard part too about heart is that you can only mend at havens. So if you're oh. on the delve, you're basically stuck with it until you can get somewhere safe. All right. Safe. Well, then then never then never mind. Mm-hmm. All right. Um. So, but you, you feel like you're making progress. You're keeping her from dying. And because you're making progress and you're alert, you notice when her right hand slips up to her side, pulls one of the knives free and seems to be getting ready to stab you with this just blank expression on her face. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh dear. I don't like this. Yeah. Uh, I think I think the thing to do here is uh I hate I hate I I I hate Pale Green a whole lot and it makes me very very happy to be playing this character like I know what I know what he's going to do here. Yeah. Um I think it's throwing aside one of these these knives and pulling out his ritual blade and attempting like a quick a quick on guard disarm. Ooh, okay. Okay, cool. Um, okay, so that is going to be. Um, I mean, you're. You could argue a couple different things here for your. Uh, it's probably well. It's probably kill. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say you could argue either occult or wild for the domain. I'll take a cult here. I have a cult, so I'll, I'll go with that. I think that this is, I think, and now that I can sense that it's like a hateful knife, I think that it makes sense to, I, mm-hmm. 
even if it's just like I've like I've read I've I've read about you know I've read ghosts I've read plenty of ghost stories and I I know that the best thing to do is to uh, I think that I think that pale green has the exact reaction that everybody kind of has when they read like when they read like a a haunted object short story which is like well why wouldn't mm-hmm. you just throw that in a lake and be done be done with it I think I think <laughs> yeah. has that kind of smug reaction of like. Well, then I will simply be rid of the knife, and then we will be fine. Yeah. So I am rolling 2d10. I also have my yep. ritual blade, which is an additional d6. Oh, nice. Okay. So I have a 6, a 9, and a 1. So that is a 9. Okay, cool. Um, so you are definitely going to succeed. Um, and uh, so you, yours is a your knife is a d6, you said, right? Yeah. So roll me 1d6 for the stress that you do. All right. That is a six. Okay. Very nice. Um, So you knock one of these blades away and in the process, like, you know, I don't think you're trying to kill her, right? You're just no, trying no, no. To- I'm trying to destroy. I'm trying to get uh, not, not maybe if not destroy the knife, get it out of the equation. Okay. So you knock that knife out of her hand um, successfully and you can see like, her whole body sort of staggers a bit there. Um, and then she pulls out another blade and is comes swinging at you with that blade. So you're definitely going to want to do like an evade plus a call to evade mm-hmm. plus wild, something like that to try to see if you can avoid getting hit here. All right. We'll take, we'll take evade plus a cult, which will be 2d10 because I don't have evade, but I do have a cult. I think uh, I think this is just plain old cowardice. I think that once the second knife, I think like pale green in his mind was going to like effortlessly bat the knife away. And that was going to be the thing that was going to get Kala back on yeah. his side. And the second, uh, second knife, then it's yeah. just running. It's just sort of running in a circle. Okay. There is no, there is no glory in this, in this evasion. It is simply, it is simply be away from knife distance at all times. Okay. Uh, but that is a that is a six and a nine. Nice, uh, okay. and that is a nine. So that yeah, I, I, I'm just I I it, even it like this is this is an inglorious success, but it is nonetheless a success of just like jumping and dodging and sort of like squirming away from these knives. Right, right. And I should have mentioned this. This should have been a risky thing, but I didn't say it at the beginning, so we're going to okay. treat it just like a normal. We can absolutely treat retroactively treat it as risky. I'm, that's that's fine by that's fine by me. Okay, cool. Um, so risky means you remove the highest dice from okay. the pool. Um, so I think that's still success, though, right? That is a success six. with stress. Yeah. Okay. Um, roll me one d six. All right. Uh, that is four. That is four to blood. Okay, that puts me up to five blood. Okay, I'm gonna roll for fallout. That is a one. Oh, that Ooh, is five. Boy. That is four under my. That is four under my uh, my stress. Yeah. Or no, uh, it is three under. No, yeah, I didn't. I didn't clear my blood stress before, so that is four under stress. Yes. Um. So cool. Um. So you, it's only gonna be a minor blood fallout, and then it will clear all your. All right. Um, blood fallout. Um, incidentally, you should clear your echo fallout too, since yep. you took your echo stress rather. Yep. Um, yeah. Um, 
she you managed to dodge out of the way but you just climbed all this way carrying all these books i think you're winded Mm -hmm, 100 percent. so like basically what that'll mean is that the next time you attack with your your uh your your ritual knife you'll be down one dice size for its amount of stress that it does got it got it okay what would you like to do um, you can keep running around in circles. You could try to attack. You could try to do something completely different. You could try running away. You could do any of those things. I think. I think I have to. I have to. I have to at least try. I have to. I have to at least try, and uh, try and and get these knives away and try to bring back Kala. Uh, I I I recognize that I owe this to her. Okay. So cool. I am going to, to take my blade, and it worked last time, so on guard. Okay, cool. Um, so uh, so once again, that is going to be kill plus occult, um, and uh, it's going to be risky, so you'll you'll have, you'll have build your dice pool, then whatever you roll, take the highest die away. And I am rolling d8s instead of d10s as I, as I try to do this. No, um, no. That'll be for the amount of stress that you oh, do. Oh, for the amount of stress. hit. Got it. Got mm-hmm. it. Got it. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Okay. Perfect. Yep. Then I am rolling 2d10. <sighs> that's not good. Uh, that's a four and a three. The four goes away, which leaves me with a three. Ooh. Yeah, that is rough. Um, that's not good. That's not good. That's not good. Okay. So, so um, it could have been worse. I mean, you could have failed and taken double stress. That's true. Um, that is true. Um, so... You come in to get at her, um, and she kind of like dodges around and swings. So go ahead and roll me a d6. That is a one, thankfully. Okay. Um, so that is one blood stress as she kind of nicks you as you attempt to get her and miss. All right. And uh, so the other thing about heart is that there's no like proper initiative order. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's just sort of narrative. So like she essentially did her thing by yeah. responding to you. So it's up to you what you want to do next. Um, but if you take too long, I'll have her do something. <laughs> I think, I think the plan here is I can't outfight her. She is a, she is, this is what she is trained to do. And this is why we hired her. And I know this mm-hmm. and I got lucky with the first one. And it's not going to work again. So I think I have to, I have to, I mean, I'm not exactly good at, I'm not exactly good at speaking to people, but like I gotta, I gotta try and make an appeal to her on a level, and you know, like Kala, Kala, I promise you, I promise you, you do not want to do this. We can, we can find Carnival's End together. You just have to, you have to fight through whatever is going on here. Hmm. Okay. Okay. That sounds like a compel. Yep. Would we still call this a cult? Sure. All right. That's two d ten. Oh, that's a one and an eight. Whew, I'll take okay. it. I'll take, I'll take, I will take that. I've never been happier. I rolled that one and was like, <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Um, so there is like no understanding in her eyes. And when her mouth opens, the voice that's coming out is sort of wheezing. It's like they're like something is trying to make noise through her mouth, but is totally unfamiliar with how the organs work properly. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you disturbed the meeting. 
and roll me a d6. Four. Okay. Um, that is going to be four mind stress. Oh, that's very bad. That's very, very bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. No, that's eight mind stress. That's not good. <laughs> okay. Let's see what happens. Uh, that's cock. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's uh, that's a two. That's, um, not, that's, 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 a, that's a bad number to roll is the thing. Yeah. Um, so let's see here. Um, mind stress. Mind fallout. Well, the good news is your mind fallout is about to get cleared. Yep. Yep. Um, that's the good news. Um, wrong PDF. Ooh. Ooh. That's not a noise I like hearing is the thing. Oh. God. These are also good. You have an issue where you know those echoes of your past. Mm-hmm. Right? That we talked about. Like, yeah. you're seeing the dinner party. There's the echoes of your death, that the future death, um, and her. But then you also see strange figments of her like when you were first going on the dell together and it starts becoming really unclear to you which are the things from your memory which are the things from your death Mm. and what's happening right now you know something's wrong and like instinctively you can think about you know how you how you might you know parse through this the problem is, is that from a perception standpoint, it all seems equally valid in front of you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think. Except for one thing. Yeah. Which is your death, which you can see it arch an eyebrow at you expectantly. I think, uh, I mean, I think at this moment. I think Pale Green's salvation is going to be leaning into his worst impulses. And I think as 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 he starts to come back to that moment, as he starts to as he starts to see the knives and the people at the party and those same people being horribly unimpressed by the story of his death, I think that like the thing that happens, the thing that he follows up with that is to is to kind is to is to kind of stand up and he takes out his bottle of of homemade ambrosia mm. and uh he kind of takes a swig of it and like is sloshing it around in the in the sort of water skin and is like ah well if it is if it is ah well i i believe i believe the meeting is just about ready to begin and he starts uh he is going to attempt i think i think the thing that he does is start rattling off about this book half Mm -hmm. like half in an an attempt to charm half in an attempt to confuse uh Mm -hmm. but like just and i think half in an attempt to build some kind of a connection even if it's a connection in disdain but like Mm -hmm. half like it's it's so many different things. It's partly a, a hallucination and partly a a calculated filibuster to confuse these knives <laughs> so that he can so that he can he can buy enough time to escape and figure out what's what. But also, he's just really excited to talk about this book with his book club again. Okay. Okay. And he just starts rattling off details about this book. 
Okay. And this is the book that you're looking for? Is this Carnival's End or the book from the book club? The book I th- Oh, it's got to be Carnival's End now. Like I think okay. as the as as time and space have warped, I think now he's rattling off about Carnival's End as though he has read it for a book club and I think he's remarkably I think he's talking about it about as well as you talk about any book you haven't read for book club, which mm-hmm. is to say pretty solidly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like you, you, you regurgitate the marketing pitch word for word. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um, so I think, I think that's something like that, that sounds to me like compel again. Okay. Oh, that's a 10. Whoo. Okay. Um, wow. This is a good moment for a 10. Yeah, it is. So, the knives are going to be willing to let you go and let you like leave and they go back to their meeting. But you tell me what that looks like. I think, um, I think that like, as I am talking, I think, I think Kala like lowers, like lowers her arm and like the knife, like, no, 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 she doesn't lower her arm. She actually like raises it in a stabbing position and like goes to stab me in the throat and then stops like the knife is like like the knife like wants to be as close to my my throat and my my face as possible and is like I think that the knives are enraptured. I think that they mm. are just they are listening closely and like uh time and space being what it is, right? Everything kind of blurring together. I think the Oh, this plays very, very nicely. We're about to get real weird with time and space, and it's gonna be sick. And I think that the critical, the critical hit is, um, if I may, especially if I may, I think there's a there's a really cool moment to to pull from this critical hit because I had said a thing that now clicks into place in a really fucking weird and cool way. I think I'm talking, and the knife stops at my throat as I'm regurgitating the story of of Carnival's End. And I'm talking Uh about the legend and how it makes people dance and dance. And the knives are listening, and the knives pause, and, like, the knives are fascinated, right? Like, they are, I think, kind of, we see them start to, like, wiggle around and start to, like, remove from Kala. Mm -hmm. And the thing... But the the thing that remains, because I can't change the past, is that the other elves are just like, they're like, did you even read the book? We were talking about the, <laughs> we were talking about the, the poison orchid. What are you even talking about Carnival's End? And yeah. the knives are wiggling and they're so enraptured. Do you remember what I said ha- happened at the end of that party? Oh my God. Uh... I said there were multiple fatalities. <laughs> Oh, that's right. That's <laughs> and right. I think what happens is the knives leave Kala and like knives just start flying into elves. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I even and wrote I, down multiple fatalities. Wow. <laughs> and I think like what happens is like there's this moment and I think that my death is staring at me and like the second eyebrow raises, like it goes mm-hmm. from that one eyebrow to like uh, a shocked eyebrow is like. The mystery of that night is finally made clear in this weird pseudo out of time, like piercing the gray moment of like something drove something drove their disgust to such a point where they started lashing out at each other and things got violent. And it seems to be like every time somebody somebody every time somebody made a stab, there's a knife that corresponds to that moment. And 
I the whole time am just giddily reciting the plot to this book until finally uh, the knives fall to the like the knives like fall like fall to the ground each having found a no they don't fall they don't because what happens is weirder we're going weird with this this is great mm-hmm. each of the knives finds an elf and they all like go and sit around each other and commence all talking to each other in that exact kind of strained learning how organs work way as they start having their meeting each with this weird spectral memory of a dead elf awesome I love that I love that. So these knives all do that. Kala slumps to the ground, um, obviously from her new wounds that Mm -hmm. from the knives that left, she's bleeding again. And I know that I'm not going to be able to save her. Like, I know this. So what I'm going to do instead is another one of my abilities. I am going to place uh, my hand on her brow Mm -hmm. and call for last rites. When you touch the brow of a recently dead person, you may ask their spirit a single question before it fades away. Okay. What's your question? What secret did the knives tell you that can point me in the direction of Carnival's End? Oh. The Council of Knives, the last host, there's a tent just beyond the trees. And then she expires. I love it. And I think, like, I... I, I take my ritual blade and I plant it in the ground next to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, I'm like, okay. And I, I go pat, I walk and I walk past the trees. So you walk past the trees and you do find this tent. It's leaning to the side. It's barely standing. Like clearly some of the supports have broken. The tent itself is multicolored. Like it's got stripes of like red, yellow, white, blue, um, and there's a tiny, like, little flag hanging off the top. Um, but like I said, it's just barely hanging on, and the fabric is, like, parted at the entrance. And I am going to make my way, like, I'm going to part that, part that entrance the rest of the way and peer inside and make my, and see what is waiting for me in this tent. There is a small, like, portable, like, stand like something that you would double as a footstool or like if you're on your knees, use it as a table Um, in the center there. There's also like strewn, like broken bottles and things like that in here. This tent has clearly been through some stuff. This place was roughed up, but this table has been undisturbed. And sitting on the table is what appears to be a, like, it looks like a, it's about like a compact, like a makeup compact. Mm -hmm. Um, made of beaten bronze and next to it is a leather-bound book um horrible thing among horrible things you can already tell from the distance that there are some pages that there's like a gap in the center like so somebody's torn out pages Hmm. um but you can see the cover and in rather plain script it says carnival's end or the end of pain Mm. I, I I do a little I do a little dance to myself in this moment mm-hmm. with all the clacking is stuff oh yeah like that is your dance. thumping like- thumping and clacking and clattering and I go and I remove uh, a book from one of my many like sleeves or pouches uh, that's about mm-hmm. the size of Carnival's end and giving a quick scan to the room to see if I see any like pages that have been scattered around. I'm going to take it in this, uh, 
I'm going to take it and this and this bronze object. I'm going to take it and I'm going to stash it. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, do you look at them at all? You're stashing them? <sighs> you know, as much as I, I think, I think this is the moment where as much as, uh, as much as pale green wanted to present as the, as the cool enlightened horror fan earlier, I think this is the moment where at a certain point, a character in a horror story has to walk through that, has to walk through that door. And I think this is the moment where he flips through those pages. Okay. So you flip open those pages. Um, there is a section in there titled "On the Call On the Carnival Dance," and there seems to be an elaborate set of rituals there, like the kind of thing that, like, just the materials alone would take a month to gather. Um, and that's if you had like unlimited money to spend to have, yeah. you know, and merchants available. But book two catches your attention, and that is the end of pain. And when you flip it open to that page, there's a very simple prescription to go to the carnival and see the great clown Pagliacci. How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? I'm so, I, how dare you? Uh, I think that can like, a, can you give me a final scene as we as we end our session <laughs> yeah i think that what happens is like i think it's just cackling outside of the tent as uh-huh. i think that like i think is just like uh at, at like like sweating and bloodied and broken like seeing that and just cackling laughing <laughs> half with the understanding that like he is not getting out of here right like Half yeah. with the understanding that like getting here was luck. Yeah. But I think, and I think that what happens, the, the thing that we see is uh, he is laughing and he's sitting and he's like showing that book. And we see that as he sees it, past and present and future and life and death are still all blurring together. And inside that tent are. 13 13 uh elves with knives in their guts and mm-hmm. Kala and Martin and thrushes in the meadow and uh and his brother and his father and like all of these people as he's like showing them the page and like screaming and laughing and uh I think that like he is with like I said the implicit knowledge that he's probably not getting out here but like finally getting the thing that he wanted which was to shove this in everyone's face that like did him wrong in this hallucination maybe memory maybe echo of their death that may or may not be tied to these hateful knives like just get like his dance is like rolling on the floor ingloriously laughing at this as we as we pan out from the tent uh and that is game yeah thank you so much for playing with me i oh this kicked ass this was great oh this ruled this was everything that i wanted and then some that was fantastic i love this setting so much it's so so, it's so cool and weird and like you did such a good job of making it cool and weird and like i know that like in the book you know the the intro from grant and chris it says like 
we've pretty much just like left it up for you. So like, I appreciate you really bringing the energy and making it cool and weird and interesting. It just, it kicked ass. Yeah. It's, it was so much fun. I had so much fun with your character. I loved it. Oh my, uh, now this is where, this is where I, this is where I reveal my hand, which is, uh, I had so originally like like I had originally just been like, oh, the Dead Walker's a really cool concept. Like you had told me the premise that we were looking for this book, and I was like, that's a really neat thing if he's if he's a dead walker that woke up. And then as soon as I read through the questions and it was like your family was ruined with a faux pas, I went, Well, there's only one direction I can take with this, and there is <laughs> yeah. really like only one fictional character that I can I can pull energy from, and I'm glad that we got a Paleochi joke in there because this means that this means that with high Elvin Fraser Crane, like <laughs> I got all of the Jeff Stormer beats into the episode. Excellent, excellent. That's that's what we're here for. <laughs> I'm very happy. Uh, thank you so much <laughs> for playing this with me. Before we wrap up, where can people find you and your work online? Yeah, you can find um, me on Twitter at Anderlik. That's A-N-D-R-L-I-K. Um, I also infrequently write things at um, Anderlik.org, which is the same spelling. Um, and more, most importantly, you can listen to my actual play podcast where we play Numenera, but we've also done diversions like playing Heart and things like that. Um, and that's at Explorers Wanted on Twitter or ExplorersWanted.fm on the web. That. Thank you so much for liking this with me. This was I'm I'm still beaming about this. This kicked ass. Uh, and for now, I'm gonna throw it over to me in the future so that he can wrap up with the show. Take a future me. Thanks, past me, and thanks again to Daniel for coming onto the show. I could not be happier with that game. That ruled. That was funny and scary. And I legitimately cannot believe that our last episode of 2022, that we ended our year with a goddamn great clown Paleochi joke. I could not be happier about this. I did not plan it that way, but it worked out in such a way that I could not be happier. Anyway, be sure to check out Explorers Wanted at explorerswanted.fm. Be sure to head to rowanrookandicard.com to check out Heart, the City Beneath. And be sure to follow Daniel on Twitter, I, I mean, I guess for now, at Anderlik, A-N-D-R-L-I-K. Then, if you want to keep up with the show, there's a lot of ways you can do that. You can follow us on Twitter, again, for now, at Party of One Pod. You can head to partyofonepod.tumblr.com to follow us on Tumblr. You can follow us on TikTok at Party of One Podcast. You can also join our Discord community at bit.ly slash partyofonediscord. Or I guess you could follow us on Facebook, but like, why? If you'd like to support the show, you can head to patreon.com slash jeffstormer or ko-fi.com slash jeffstormer and support the show financially. You can leave us a nice review on Spotify, iTunes, or Podchaser. You can tell a friend about the show. You can rave about the show on social media. You can buy a t-shirt at bit.ly slash partyofonemerch. Or you can sign up for our newsletter at buttondown.email slash partyofonepodcast. And then after all of that, if you want to listen to some more great podcasts, check out all my fantasy children at oneshotpodcast.com. That's a character creation, storytelling, and world building podcast where my best friend, Aaron Catano Saez, and I take a listener-submitted prompt and spin it into an original fantasy character. Or check out Yazeba's Bed and Breakfast at tinyurl.com slash podcast. That's a slice-of-life actual play about a heartless witch, a quiet house, and all the many people making their lives inside. Party of One is produced and edited, as always, by Jeff Stormer and Jen Frank. All music for the show comes from the song Infinite Lives by Mega Ray and featuring the D&D Sluggers. And the Party of One logo is by Evan Rowland. If you'd like to inquire about advertising rates, press coverage of the show, or about coming on to the show as a guest, email me at partyofonepodcast at gmail.com. 
And unless I am mistaken, I believe that is all we do here. So until the Christmas special, until 2023, thank you as always for listening. Remember to fight the forces of fascism every single day. Remember that self-love and self-care are radical and defiant acts of resistance. And as always, party on, everybody. Never gonna die.